Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for allowing us to be in a building where it's kind of distraction-free from the temperature and all that. And Father, we pray now that you would help us to hear your word, that we would uh, see who Jesus is, uh, but also understand why he is the only way to know you. And we pray for this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, Well, uh, about a month or so ago, uh, my family and myself, we went to China and um, it was a good trip, a hard trip, because we also brought along two kind of young toddlers with us. I don't know what convinced us to do that. So the, the plane itself took about 10 hours to get there, but it felt like 20 hours. Um, it was a long flight, but we eventually got to China. And China is nice, but it's, it's hard when you're in a cramped space and you've only got, you know, um, you've got two running kids around. But uh, one of the things that we decided to do whilst we were in China was to visit Disneyland. Now, just a show of hands, has anyone been to Disneyland before? Okay, a couple of you guys. Now, I'll be honest, when I was when we first thinking about going to Disneyland, I wasn't really that excited. You know, after all, I'm an adult, um, and, you know, it's, it's got toys that my kids will want to buy, it's got rides that I don't really want to go on, so I wasn't really that excited about Disneyland. Uh, but I'll be honest, the moment I got off that train and I walked through that door... And I heard that music, I smelt the sound, and I saw Mickey looking at me. I was hooked. (laughs) So here's a picture. There we go. You can't really kind of not get excited about that. And once we're in, I was like, I felt like a child again, just enjoying the day. Um, So much so that here's a picture of my son and I. There we go. We had to line up 30 minutes to get that picture taken. I didn't even really like that bunny. But we still had to line up to do that, and I, I was really hooked on Disneyland. I loved it. Uh, good times. I've got lots of photos to show for it as well. And one of the funny things about Disneyland is that when you're there, everything just feels so nice. Uh, if you've ever been to China before, it's not the cleanest place. You know, the whole idea of don't litter, it's not really in their kind of thought process. But when you go to Disneyland, it, it's clean. You know, I saw someone throwing some rubbish on the floor, and the next thing, the, the attendant comes and cleans it up. Everything is just so nice about Disneyland. You know, the people are nice there. They're always smiling. The music is nice. The food is nice. The, everything kind of just says, this is a nice place to be. Now, why am I talking about Disneyland? Well, I think I was thinking about this myself, uh, where when people first come along to church, when they're kind of just checking out what Christianity is all about, it kind of feels, perhaps not like Disneyland, but it feels nice. Everything just feels like it's good. And so, you know, when you find out about Christianity, when you find out and you meet people who follow Jesus, there's lots of nice things. After all, Jesus teaches his followers to love the neighbors. Uh, Christians are supposed to be forgiving and we're supposed to be patient with one another. And we're supposed to help the poor and, and care for those who are sick and, and need our help. So there's a lot that is very nice about following Jesus. Uh, but as I meet these people, often they, that's, they see all this and it's really good. But then after a while, they'll take me aside and they'll kind of ask me this question, almost in a hushed tone. They'll say, you know, like, Vincent, all this is really, really good. But can I ask you a question? Do Christians really believe that Jesus is the only way to God? And you can tell that when they're asking the question, they they go, surely you don't believe that, right? Because I see all these nice things, you know, love, gentleness, patience. I see all those things. But do you really believe that the only way to know God, the only way to be saved, 
is if you trust in Jesus. Because not only does that not feel nice, that feels kind of exclusive, intolerant, even arrogant. How can you say that? Well, for this week, uh, uh, sorry, last week and this week, we're exploring these two big questions. Uh, Last week, we looked at the question of suffering and pain and uh, in the Christian life. But this week, we're looking at the question of why is it that Christians claim that Jesus, that Jesus is the only way to God? How can we make that claim? How can we make that claim? Now, on the surface, it's quite easy to answer, right? Because God has revealed himself. God has shown himself. And so we take God as he has revealed himself. He has said that the way to know me is through Jesus. And Jesus makes that claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So on the surface, that's how you answer it. it? Because whether you like it or not, truth is truth. And so if Jesus claims that, he's either lying or he's telling the truth. But it's one way or the other. Now that's the surface answer. But what I want to show us today is that as we dig deeper... As we dig deeper, we see that a lot about the question has more to say about not who Jesus is, but about who we are. And as we come to see who we are, we can see that Jesus has to be the only way to God. And the way that I want to do that is by looking at two events in Jesus' life. Two events in Jesus' life. The first one we read already, so we're coming to our first point, our biggest need. And we're told that Jesus is in a town, he's called Copernica. It's just a little north of current day Jerusalem. And at that time, there's been reports about Jesus, that he can heal the sick. Uh, He's doing miracles. Uh, And if you're in kind of any culture where the word spreads, you know, if there's good news in the Chinese culture, immediately you tell someone. Well, it's the same here, right? When people can hear that Jesus can heal the sick, aunties are telling their uncles, they're telling their brothers, they're telling their sisters, everyone is coming to see Jesus. And and Jesus at that time is in a room, probably a lot smaller than this, and, and that room is packed out. Everyone wants a piece of him so that there's no way to even get through the front door to come to Jesus. Now, while all this is happening, four men decide to try their luck. They have a friend who, are, who is a paraplegic, meaning that he can't move from his neck down, and they, they bring him all the way to Jesus. But the door is, you know, it's full of people. They can't get in. So what do they do? Now, if it was me, I would just go, okay, let's go home, guys. This is it. You know? <laughs> like we tried, but we failed. But these friends, they are entrepreneurs. So they're like, okay, well, if we can't get in through that door, there's no other door. All right, let's make a door. So what they do is that they climb up onto the roof. And what we're told is they quite literally, they make an opening. Make of that what you will. They make an opening. And so they're on the roof there and Jesus is there and he's healing people. And then, you know, all these people are coming. They want to touch the Jesus and everything. And then you hear this noise. And there's a bit of dust that falls down. Everyone looks up, but they're not quite sure. And so Jesus keeps healing. And then the noise gets louder. And then there's an opening in the roof as it's removed. And then this man starts coming down. And he's coming all the way until he's right before Jesus. Okay. Now, this is that moment. This is that moment where people work out, is, is this man really a healer? Or is this just a charlatan, you know? Does he kind of just push them over really strongly and pretend they're healed? Because he is a paralyzed man. Either he will get up and he'll start walking and he'll jump for joy, or he's going to go, oh yeah, I feel something, but not really. Here is that moment where Jesus can actually show who he really is. 
But look at what Jesus says in verse 5. Verse 5. He looks at that man and this is what he says. Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. And I think at that point you could have just heard a pin drop in the room. Doesn't Jesus realize what this man's problem is? Doesn't this... Doesn't Jesus realize that this man wants to walk again? The friends are probably going, maybe we should just start going, you know, pull him back up. Doesn't Jesus realize that he has a physical problem? But that's the point. As everyone looks at this man and they see that he, and they think that his biggest problem is a physical problem, Jesus looks at him and he says, no, actually, this man's biggest problem is his spiritual problem, the problem of sin. See, what is sin? Sin is our rejection of God. It's saying no to the Creator. It's saying, I do not want a relationship with the God who has made me. Um, I had a friend and he said, one way that you can remember what sin is is by using the letters of the word, S-I-N. It's basically this. It's saying, stuff you, God, S. I'm the boss. No to your ways. Right? S-I-N. Stuff you, God. I'm the boss. I'm the one who's in charge. No, I will not live your ways. Now, it's a nice, easy way to remember what sin stands for. And it's kind of even funny saying, stuff you to God. But there's nothing funny when you say it to the creator of the universe. When you say it to the one who has given you life, who sustains you daily, who gives us everything that we have, and we say, stuff you. I will not live your way. And Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven. Your biggest problem is your spiritual problem. And I have come to deal with that problem. And he shows it. He, he makes the man walk again. But he's saying, but that's actually not the big thing. The big miracle is that I can heal your sin. Now, at this point, most people would actually agree with me. Because... I think everyone realizes that you can have the fittest body in the world. You can have you know, incredible six-packs. You can have all those biceps. You can moisturize your face every day. You can have the best body in the world, but you will still die. So outwardly, we can be perfect, but one day you will meet your creator and you'll still have to work out, are we okay? You have to work out whether spiritually you are right with God. And so for most people, we would agree, well, we should be better people. We should try to be good people. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that why Catholics go along to church? Because if they go along to Mass, they can be better people. Isn't that why Muslims pray five times a day and give to the poor to be better people? They want to make sure that they're okay spiritually. Isn't that why Buddhists, they burn incense and they don't eat meat because they want to be good people. They want to be better people. Because at the end of the day, isn't that what we're here for? Just to be better people. But Jesus has a way of getting under people's skin. See, he doesn't only say that we have a massive spiritual problem. He goes further than that. And we come to our second point, our biggest need. Because we come to our second account of Jesus. And this is, uh, pick it up with me at verse 13 as Jesus meets a man called Levi. Levi, so verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and he followed him. 
You know, I'm always surprised. There is something about Jesus that says, this is a man that is worth following, that when he calls others to follow him, they actually do. Uh, I remember being in a scripture class once, and I was kind of teaching the kids, and I said, you know, if I said to you, if I said, give up everything, give up your family, give up your, your studies, maybe they want to give up their studies, but give up everything and follow me, would you do it? And the, the youth were like, no. <laughs> right? But, but as we look here, Jesus says, follow me, and Levi does that. Uh, and even now, as we think about it, there are people who follow Jesus. There are churches that follow Jesus. There is something about him that is worth following. But back to the account, the thing that really stands out isn't so much what happened, but rather who it happened to. See, Levi is not a good person. We're told that he is sitting at the tax office. In other words, this is saying that Levi is a tax collector. Okay, now, I know that we're not big fans of tax, but the reason that this is important here is that the Jews, they were under the Roman rule. And so to be paying tax, you were basically giving money to your enemies. But worse still, if you were the tax collector, you were basically taking money from your own people, the Jewish people, and then you were giving it to your enemies. In other words, to be a tax collector, you were someone who had no dignity, You had no shame. You were so driven by greed that you would rather be an outcast by your own people so that you could take their money and that you could give it to the enemy. Levi is not a good person. And Jesus says to Levi, follow me. But he goes even further than that because in verse 15, then we read verse 15, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And so it's not only Levi, now we have a group of tax collectors, a group of sinners, and they're eating with Jesus. Uh, I remember in one of my old jobs, I had to drive one of my clients home. Now, this client, he lived in the rough part of town. I knew that. I knew that by the suburb name, but I had never actually been to that suburb before. And so he got in my car and I said, why don't you direct me because I don't really know where we're going. And as we were driving, we went past the houses with the nice lawns. And he said, keep driving. So we kept driving. And then we went past the houses with the not so nice lawns. And he said, keep driving, keep driving. And so we got to the, past, got to the houses where you don't really think about lawns at that point. And we were there and I'll be honest, I was a bit scared You know, people were walking around in broad daylight, adults just looking for trouble. People dealing drugs out in the open. This was the part of town that you don't bring your kids there to grow up in. You move out if you have money. You know, when I dropped him off, I made sure I locked the doors and got out of there as quickly as possible. Now, Jesus, he's in that part of town. And he's not only in that part of town here, he is eating and having a meal with those people, that kind of people. And he's eating with them. You know, in, in most cultures, you don't really get to know someone until you, you sit down and you eat with them. You know, we, we can talk a lot at church, but it's when you go, hey, Alan, come over for a meal. Let's sit down. Try out this fried rice or something that I've made for you. Then we, then we really kind of bond. Now, Jesus is eating with them. In other words, Jesus wants to be in a relationship Those people. Now at this point, we read about these people called the scribes and the Pharisees and they they stumble across the party. 
Um, I have a picture here. I just Googled it. I'm not sure if this is what they actually look like, of the scribes and the Pharisees. But just by looking at them, you could tell that these guys are the respected people, right? The scribes and the Pharisees, they probably, modern-day equivalent, they probably wear a shirt. They were well-respected. People looked up to them. Um, you know, if you needed someone to come to the charity event to cut the ribbon, these guys would be it. Okay? And they see Jesus, and he's eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. And they ask the obvious question, verse 16, verse 16, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he doing that? Doesn't Jesus realize who they are? Doesn't he realize what their company represents? Now, if you were Jesus, how would you answer that? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? How would you answer that? Maybe because they're more fun? <laughs> Maybe because they'll, they'll shout Jesus a meal? Why is Jesus eating with them? This is what Jesus says, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And you can tell that this is just, what, what do you mean, Jesus? The, the Pharisees and the scribes, they don't get it. But this is Jesus' point. Jesus has not come to make good people be better. He's come to show sinners how to be saved. He hasn't come to help good people be better people. He's come to bring salvation. I recently read about a, a chef who had a growth on his tongue. He went to the doctors and the doctor said, I've got really bad news. You've got stage four cancer growing on your tongue. And so what did he do? Did he just sit around and kind of go, oh, well, is me. No, he went straight away to get as much treatment on that tongue as possible, blasting it with um, chemotherapy. And in the end, he was able to save himself. See, the sick, they realize they need treatment. The sick, they realize they need a doctor. Why is it that Jesus eats with sinners? It's not because they're more funner company. It's not that they're better to hang out with. It's not that they, they somehow have something that, you know, that the Pharisees don't. No, the thing that they are is that they understand the situation. They get that their spiritual problem is so big that what they, not, what they need is not help, but they need salvation. And that's the same for us. As we sit here, Jesus has come to say, I have come for the sinner. I have come for the person who realizes the, the magnitude, the bigness, the greatness of their spiritual problem. And this is the offensive thing that Jesus has to say for all of us. We're all in that boat. So the most offensive thing that Jesus has to say is not that I'm the only way, but that you are all sinners, that I am a sinner, that all of us sitting in this room, that we are a sinner. And this means that Jesus, he is bad news for a good person. He's bad news for a good person because a good person thinks that ultimately I can do it on my own, but that's not what Jesus has to offer. See, do you know the, the biggest difference between a good person and a sinner? This is what a good person says. A good person says, help me, Jesus. Help me to be a better person. 
Help me to, to go to church more. Help me so that I can be better, so I can be right with God. Help me to be who I am, but better. But a sinner says, save me, Jesus. I can't do it. My, my spiritual problem is too great. And, and if you don't do something, I can't sort it out on my own. And Jesus, he has come for the people who recognize that they are a sinner. That when we recognize that, then Jesus is the only way. And so coming to our final point, Jesus, the only way for sinners. If we, if we grasp that we are all sinners, it will leave no room for pride. It will leave no room for looking down on others. Because we realize that we're all in the same boat. Um, I was thinking about this situation where I realized that I forgot this the other day. Uh, we had a, a person who had not come along to church for a while, and I saw them, and I, I gave them that kind of sarcastic comment, oh, it's good to see you again. You know, that comment where you go, oh, long time, no see, <laughs> right? And I realized, as I thought back on that, I had to apologize to them because what was happening, there was sin, there was pride in my heart where I thought, I'm better than you. I've been going to church every week. I've, done, I've ticked all the boxes. I've done it and you haven't. But if you realize what sin is, if you realize who you are, it actually doesn't allow you to, to do that. We become a church where we don't judge others and look down on others thinking that we're more godly and that we're more righteous. No, we become a church that looks outward and recognize that we are looking at a world full of sinners, but the good news is that we are sinners who have good news of Jesus to spread to them. But more importantly, I hope that as we walk away today that we can see the question is not so much why is Jesus the only way to God? See, actually, the question the Bible wants us to think about is not, why is Jesus the only way to God, but rather, how can a sinner like myself be saved? See, as you read the Bible, and as you understand your own situation, and you recognize the magnitude of your own sin, the thing that you ask is not, why is Jesus the only way to God? But rather, how can I be saved? And the good news of the Bible is that Jesus has come He has come to die for our sins so that when we place our trust in him, that we can have full forgiveness. And that's something for all of us worth remembering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world. We thank you that he reveals you, that he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that there is no other way to know you apart from Jesus. But more importantly, Father, we thank you that when we recognize the magnitude of our own sin, that when we wonder how can we possibly be right with you, that we recognize that in Christ Jesus, he has given up his life. He has taken our place so that we can have free and full forgiveness of sin. We thank you that Christ Jesus came not for the righteous, but for sinners. And in his name we pray. Amen.